episode of the Hitchcock Minute. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock directed thriller North by Northwest, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Josh Horowitz from the podcast Five Minutes of Trouble and Five Minutes of Bonsai, and my co-host, who has never had more than six parking tickets, is Brett Stillo. Welcome back, Brett. Josh, I'm I'm a little upset. I'm, I'm a very honest man. What? I never have parking oh. tickets. Who would ever have more than a one parking tickets? But that's okay. That's okay. I did shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Uh, so there is that. So you know. But anyway, uh, I you know parking tickets. We're going to talk about parking tickets today, among yes, other things. Yes, we are. And parking implies cars, doesn't it? Why that's a clever segue. Why yes, parking would. You in order to get a parking ticket, you need to park something. And yes, who do we know anyone who's knowledgeable about cars? Who do we know who are experts on cars? I, I, I think we do know two people, and they happen to be Sid Bridge and James Rodatus from the podcast Reels and Wheels, back again to join us to talk about yet another movie. So welcome back, Sid and James. No parking tickets here. <laughs> no parking tickets that you can none, prove. None at all. <laughs> Nice. Well, yeah. Th- thanks for coming back uh, to to talk with us on this one. Uh, this is uh, an interesting movie, probably known more for trains and and other things. But uh, you know, we've always had fun having you guys on. So. Well, yeah, we're wheels and wheels. We didn't say what wheels. You know, trains have metal things. They do. Yeah. Rails and, this and movie, wheels. Not in the minutes that we're reviewing, but this movie does have some great car stuff in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Some Cadillacs, some Mercedes. So. It's it's might be a movie that we cover uh, later because there is some fun car stuff in it. But uh, I can also, in my day job, I have worked on criminal justice reform in various capacities and uh, the hidden menace of unpaid municipal fines and how it affects people, especially uh, poor people. So I could do an audio book on unpaid parking <laughs> tickets. Wow. If I'm not saying I should, I'm just saying I could. So what you're what you're what you're getting at is is this comic line that we're going to talk about in a moment is not so funny to you? Well, tragedy and comedy, you know, tragedy <laughs> is is comedy plus unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> well, this is the perfect place to talk about uh, unpaid parking tickets because uh, we were talking about minute forty six of North by Northwest, and this uh, this minute starts with an attractive young woman deceiving the police about uh, uh, having received uh, information about these parking tickets, and ends with a couple of ticket takers searching for Indiana Jones. <laughs> or at least, it feels like that, if you know the reference. Clever reference. Clever reference. Wow, I didn't realize that this movie stole from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um... You know, not not the uh, not the Hitchcock expert, um, but uh, but uh, you know now that you've put it in the right context, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, what a rip. Well, that's a good little place to start, actually, uh, with Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, yeah, if you guys are you guys Hitchcock fans, uh, and uh, you know, if so, what Hitchcock movies are your favorites? What do you think of this movie? Uh, yeah, let's get a little background on you guys and Hitch. Uh, I'll start. I I am a Hitchcock fan, but not kind of the traditional Hitchcock fan. I will not give you a movie that I love, 
because what I love about Alfred Hitchcock is every little bit of film he shot promoting his movies. Listening to that man talk about his own movies is the most entertaining thing in the world. <laughs> that's that's a good point. You know, the self-promotion that, you know, because of his TV show in the 50s, he was quite well known. So, yeah, if you look at the trailer for North by Northwest, he has that very tongue-in-cheek... Uh, bit about you need why don't you take a long vacation with Cary Grant uh, that whole thing so yeah he's he's a very uh, entertaining presence so that's a good and point. I uh, actually like I grew up watching I think there was like an 80s uh, retread of Alfred Hitchcock presents where they would take his his narrative and cut it over new episodes and and that you know that it was his narrative that was the best part of the whole thing yeah, I I had I didn't really have a chance to watch many of these Alfred Hitchcock things. Uh, I mean, I know they were they were very popular at their time and you know had a had a big TV presence. But uh, Brett, did you remember seeing a lot of that on TV? Uh, I do. This is where you know being a little older than you guys. When I was a little kid, Alfred Hitchcock presents uh, was in pretty heavy uh, rotation syndication wise. So. You know, as a little kid, I'd watch anything. This guy was, yeah, as Sid said, he was very entertaining. He was so dry. And uh, as I said last week, when I was a little guy, just his physical presence, I think I got him confused with Uncle Fester on The Addams Family. <laughs> it's that same sort of, you know, black and white footage and kind of macabre and gothic and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think you could be a fan of... Uh, Hitchcock the filmmaker and there's Hitchcock the personality hmm. or the screen image and Hitchcock the uh, the influencer as well certainly he's influenced quite a few films since his time so what about you James okay so when my wife and I lived in Norfolk if we couldn't you know if we wanted to have a night in we couldn't think of a movie to watch we would just go to the Nara video store which is unfortunately no longer with us as most video stores are no longer with us crying and we would rent a film noir film of of one type or another and that led us to kind of rediscovering a lot of old hitchcock films i think our first one that we started with with was lifeboat and we've watched uh, Rear Window with Jimmy Stewart. And just recently, I don't know if y'all know, there is a Hitchcock film with Sean Connery uh, called oh, yeah. Marnie, where Sean Connery plays an American publisher who... Sounds Scottish? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, yeah, it's Sean Connery. You, you don't, it's like in Hunt for Red October... You don't get Sean Connery to do a Russian accent. You hire a Scottish crew so he'll blend in, okay? <laughs> That's what you do. Um, but yeah, Sean Connery uh, plays a publishing house executive who seduces a... Well, seduces slash coerces. It was all kind of a gray area in the 1950s, I guess, or 1960s. And... Uh, it's great because Sean Connery plays a great Sean Connery, but he does it in an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Hmm. And then I go back and watch North by Northwest, which I think my wife and I had watched together maybe about, I want to say like eight years ago. And so it's been a while since I've seen it, but I went and I, and I couldn't help myself. I had to rewatch the entire thing 
for the podcast, even though we're just focusing on this movie. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a very Hitchcock Hitchcock movie, if that makes sense. Hmm. Like it's yeah. got a lot of his tropes. It's got like a big movie star. It's got a a flawed, strong yet deep down needy leading lady. It's got a lot of those things, and I just absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, this movie, in some ways, <clears throat> it's it's very cutting edge in terms of mainstream entertainment in 1959, mm-hmm. but it's also a bit of a throwback uh, to to some of his thrillers in the 1930s. The, um, you know, the original man who knew too much, uh, the 39 Steps, and uh, you know, the Lady Vanishes, which interestingly enough is set on a train. So uh, it's 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 definitely got. Oh, like you said, it's 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 Hitchcock's best Hitchcock. It feels mm-hmm. very Hitchcocky. I mean, I, I I'm not enough of a fan to tell you if it's the best of Hitchcock and if it's the right amount of Hitchcock. But you know, I, I think of other directors. Like I think of uh, the Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton Batman is the perfect amount of Tim Burton. I think of The Rock, which we've reviewed on on our podcast, Shameless Plug. Um, is the <laughs> the perfect amount of Michael Bay to me North by Northwest it's one of those that is sort of the perfect amount of all things Hitchcock like Vertigo to me I, I and again it's been a long time since I've seen it but Vertigo to me was just like way too over the top Hitchcock but North by Northwest it was just it was just the perfect amount to me well, you know, North by Northwest is ranked 98th on Internet Movie Database right now among all their movies. Uh-huh. I'm trying to see if there are any other Hitchcock films that are... Okay, Rear, Rear Window is 52nd, yeah. so it's definitely up there. That's interesting that... You said that was IMDb? Yeah. Okay, just interesting, just, I don't know, surveys and what have you, Internet conspiracies that, you know, both fine films, I would definitely put North by Northwest up above rear window yeah to me rear window i mean I, I enjoyed it but i and this is in all due respect to jimmy stewart who i do a better bad impression of but <laughs> i think Cary grant is I, he's a bit better as a leading man in a hitchcock film i think overall that's a really interesting point better than jimmy stewart yeah well, i you know it's that's you know, I, I, I wonder if some of our other podcasting pals, and I wonder if they've gotten into that, that, you know, I wonder if, you know, Hitchcock and Grant, that's sort of an idealization. He's the perfect leading man. You know, he's, I, I wish I was more like Carrie. Uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart, in his roles in Hitchcock films, he's not an ideal character. He's sort of the dark side of... of uh, of the classic American all-American boy. I mean, he's he's a twisted mm-hmm. character in Vertigo. He's he's got some issues to discuss in Rear Window. Yeah. So it's it's I think it's, you know, Hitchcock being a foreigner is maybe examining the dark side of the American psyche and the American male. Yeah. Mm. Ooh. Listen to me. <laughs> Listen well, I mean, to let, let's face it. I mean, Cary Grant is a definitely flawed person in North by Northwest. I mean, 
He's got a rather unhealthy uh, relationship. He has to bribe his mother <laughs> to make the face she makes to, you know, get up to the hotel room. I know we're not, we're talking about a different minute of the movie, but right. yeah, he's got some issues. But I mean, could you see Jimmy Stewart going, well, well I, I, I've got I've got some unpaid parking tickets. It just it wouldn't <laughs> work good. here. Yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of swagger that is necessary for yeah. Damn good Stewart, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Damn good Stewart. I'm gonna I'm gonna say, you know, before the podcast we were talking about, you know, each of us does a horrible Cary Grant. And we were deciding are we gonna make a pact to not do Cary Grant or are we gonna just exploit the awfulness of our Cary Grants? But that is that's a good Stewart. That's a, you know, James, you've done stand up. have you ever done you know, like uh, any Stewart gags with that that impersonation yeah i have i did i did one um kind of referencing mr smith goes to washington about the financial crisis and how if you had someone like jimmy stewart um going up there you know and just going instead of too big to fail you're just too big to jail and (laughs) that was great for like you know four months in 2009 and then it (laughs) didn't have any traction after that but uh let's uh let's get back to the minute in question here uh, yeah, we're 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 on the train, and we actually hear the the all aboard, uh, you know, that, that the conductor says. I just had a note here that, you know, is is that something that is still said? And if it is, it's probably a computer voice, I would assume nowadays. Just the 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 general uh, striking difference of train life then and now. Uh, the, when did it stop being classy to ride a train? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> In Europe, if you've ever gone to Europe and you've ridden trains, it's still a, a generally great experience, especially if you're going on a long trip on one of like the, the high-speed trains or my wife and I on our honeymoon, we took a sleeper car from Paris to Venice. And it's a it's a wonderful experience, but I I haven't ridden an Amtrak. I think I've done it once. And from what I hear, it's still pretty nasty. I can verify that. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I can. I can verify this. I, I was on an Amtrak train for 13 hours about a month ago. There wasn't a, a cute old man in a in a hat who said "All aboard." <laughs> uh, there were a lot of grouchy people. There was a food shortage, and uh, my 93 year old uncle got locked in the bathroom. <laughs> how how far we have fallen from the days of the 20th century limited yeah i guess your late 60s 70s maybe even into the 80s when uh when people with money really just started flying 100 percent of the time instead of using trains yeah. so trains became the complete uh venue of people without money <laughs> yeah and then not only that as interstates became more widespread and as cars got better at going faster and said i don't know if, if you've ever done this but when i lived in virginia i always would check whenever my wife and i would do a road trip to philly or new york i'd say all right well it'd be cool to just like hop on the train and and, and have a i nice thought you're gonna ask if i've raced the train um and yes but go ahead yeah it's it's really expensive and it's slower than taking a car. You know, when I, when I took the train in France, it would go 200 miles an hour and you would make really good time. But in this country, it's just, 
it's not that fast. But in the time of North by Northwest, when interstates weren't that wide, widespread and, you know, when your average Ford Falcon had a straight six with maybe a hundred-ish net horsepower and a two-speed transmission, yeah, the train's going to be faster and you get to hang out in the dining car with someone that will um, help you avoid uh, uh, the police. And, you know, back then the train smelled a lot less like urine than it does today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the uh, interesting thing about, uh, about trains is that uh, there have been a lot of movies with them. Uh, this is probably one of the more popular ones, but... Uh, I don't know if you wanted to uh, try to think of any of the other movies that have had trains lately. I mean, you know, you guys do reels and wheels, but I mean, what if you were to do like a, uh, you know, reels and rails type of movie? Are there enough movies out there that have trains in them? Well, I hear a lot of murder occurred on this one called The Orient Express. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Back so. to the Future 3, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, Back to the Future yeah. 3. And then, um, and then you know, if, if you're really into like the, the B-movie basement there... Uh, there was a there was a movie called Snakes on a Train. <laughs> they did a train version of that. Uh, I don't know if I would call it a train version of that. I would call it a movie that involved a train and had a very similar name to Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> and I, I believe they were able to release that before Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> they got and I believe it was a straight to video Sci Fi Channel masterpiece, but. Uh, yeah, Snakes on a Train. Uh, it's interesting. Some of the movies you guys mentioned, though, more contemporary films, but set in olden times. Hmm. There aren't many contemporary modern uh, train movies. Planes, trains, and automobiles? I can't recall how much train was in that movie. There's some uh, train. And then uh, Trading Places has a really uh, wonderful train scene. Ooh, that is a good train sequence. Uh, I think it's that New Year's Eve and yep. uh, and Rick Baker in a gorilla suit. Good stuff. Good stuff. What about throw mama from the train? There you ah, go. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. I I have to give a shout out to uh, our friends at the Wilder Ride who are currently doing uh, Gene Wilder's Silver Streak with oh. Mr. Richard Pryor. So I would think that was what 1976. So uh, you know that move that whole movie set on a train. So I feel at this point we have to get down to it and talk about parking tickets. Yes. Yeah, are we ready for this? Parking tickets and seven parking tickets that can get a whole police dragnet out after you in New York City with, you know, orders to shoot to kill, by the way. (laughs) You know, that's that's the headline I'd like to see is, you know, this movie has a lot of fake newspaper headlines of Cary Grant, you know, UN killer at large. But how about you know, that picture of Cary Grant and a phony newspaper headline that says seven unpaid parking tickets? Apparently in New York, it's so bad with UPS and FedEx, you know, the two companies just park wherever because who's going to do anything? Apparently, UPS and FedEx owe, like, millions of dollars to New York City because uh, they have a bunch of unpaid parking tickets. Hmm. And 
the the interesting thing about parking tickets is and the, and the way that they work is if i'm driving sid's cutlass and i get a speeding ticket sid is in no way responsible for that speeding ticket it's all on me but if i illegally park sid's cutlass sid is still liable for the parking ticket it's owner liability of, of the vehicle and you know legally the theory would be that sid if he wanted to get justice for me illegally parking his car he would have to sue me to recoup his damages for the illegal parking tickets now this is also the theory on speed cameras and red light cameras and oh my god don't get me started a whole bunch of other constitutional issues <laughs> um but yeah so it's owner liability and depending on the state um, you could actually either find someone guilty in abstentia or find someone liable out of court and then um, proceed to essentially have a judgment against them in civil court. You know, the city would be proceeding. And then that could actually lead to, like, garnishing people's wages for parking tickets. Um, it's not done often it's it's very rare but it's possible but the point is there the police are not going to come looking for you uh the city government's just going to come looking for your bank account well i did read a little bit up, up on this and apparently uh, in real life apparently the police can arrest you for not paying parking tickets but only if a judge issues something called a bench warrant for your arrest have you ever heard of that um no what uh, what that could be is there there are a couple ways to um, collect on a debt, and probably the most humane way to do it would be, in theory, someone you know has five parking tickets, they're unpaid, they've sent plenty of notices and that sort of thing, no response. So then what they would do, they would issue a subpoena for you to come to court and show cause as to why you haven't paid the parking tickets if you fail to appear at that hearing then the judge could issue a bench warrant now whether or not a judge could or whether they they could is a separate question as to whether they should um but yeah it's it's possible and then a lot of times with these bench warrants you're not able to get released from jail until you see the judge. So you can be in jail for a couple of weeks for unpaid parking tickets. Mm. Um, this I'm talking worst case scenario here. And you should always, I'm not saying you should always pay your ticket. You might have a, an ability to contest uh, these things. Um, but you should always show up and get things taken care of on time. Well, have you heard about uh, one of the records and unpaid parking tickets? No. I, I was reading uh, an article. This one comes from Multnomah, Oregon. Uh, this was an article about a man who had 114 unpaid parking tickets. He wow. owed around uh, $25,000 in fines. That's impressive. Yeah. That is something where they might come looking for you. Yeah. One wonders about the psychological makeup of this individual. And what, what you know, that's... That's the fact. That's the sentence. But what is the story behind that? Where, what exactly is going on that you uh, 
accumulate 114 unpaid parking tickets? Is this part of some grandiose plan to uh, take over the state of Oregon? I don't know. But, uh, I think at one point it becomes a badge of honor. <laughs> you just can't stop. Maybe the poor guy got pulled into some strange FBI plot sting thing, uh, and there was just all this intrigue going on around it when it was all just a mistake for, with a waiter. I wish I could go back in time about 60, 70 years and pitch that to Hitchcock. <laughs> Wait, why does he have all the unpaid parking tickets? Because he's a murderer. So... We go from there. Dun, dun. Can we talk about the sunglasses here, guys? Like famous sunglasses. Are, I mean, I gotta say, credit where it's due. Cary Grant is dressing incredibly well in this in, in this movie. Yeah. Iconic look, iconic yeah. look. The gray suit, the red tortoise sunglasses can't go wrong. And it's and it's Cary Grant wearing said sunglasses and suit. Uh, I mean, this is interesting because going back to uh, the seven parking tickets line, in the script by Ernest Lehman, when this line comes up, Lehman's note is, Roger says this line, lamely. He says it lamely. And Grant's delivery is is not lame. It's so casual and flippant and eh. And he's trying to make a joke out of, you know, he was nearly caught by the cops. And what's what's his excuse with this beautiful blonde woman? Ah, seven parking tickets. <laughs> and then, of course, she has that wonderful, you know, mm-hmm. Or, what, is it, or is it just a hmm? But, you know, she has a great reaction to it. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, she is, you know, and maybe this is just me coming off of Marnie with, uh, with Tippi Hedden, but... I don't know. I, I always tend to really enjoy the performances of Hitchcock's leading ladies. They they have that sort of like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not, you know, in this day and age, um, it might seem a, a bit sexist. And who better to talk about sexism than, than four guys? But... <laughs> Eva Marie Saint, she's definitely on the stronger side of Cary Grant's leading ladies. And she definitely, the, the way she kind of takes control of, of what happens immediately, and then you find out why she's doing this um, and, and the reasons that, she, that she's doing it. I, I think, you know, if you're going up against Cary Grant... Uh, with his charisma and jawline and perfect tan, which he apparently worked on, like, <laughs> like that—that that was what he put most of his time and effort into, is perfecting his tan. Uh, she could go toe to toe with him, and, and you know, um, balance the scenes out and, and keep you interested. So yeah, I, 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 and the way she kind of introduces herself, and, it, and she does have that sort of striking look with the blonde hair, which is even more blonde and technicolor. Right. I, I think the way she's introduced in this scene is fantastic. And we're going to get a lot more of her in the next minute. Well, to at least some extent. Uh, but we just got to kind of wrap up the, the rest of this uh, scene here. just want to do a quick uh, quick mention about the, the camera pan that we see uh, around halfway through. 
it's it's neat because I it, it does look like this is a real train and you really make the transition from sort of this really uh, spectacular sunset and then we're inside the car. But uh, Brett, is this uh, this is movie magic? This didn't actually happen. I'd call this movie magic, and I think this is one of those things about Hitchcock. Uh, he was always trying to shoot a typical scene differently or some kind of an innovation, you know, much earlier. Uh, we didn't, we don't cover this minute, but you know, he's escaping from the UN building and there's this amazing overhead shot. That's a series of matte paintings. I think that's one reason why he was working with his cinematographer, Robert Burks. He was a, uh, he had a background in special effects photography. So you have this shot that's, it's subtle, but you know, there's no way you could get this other than using special effects and some camera trickery because, you know, we have a, yeah, this wonderful <clears throat> golden sunset. Looks like it's maybe autumn in, in New York. The camera pans over. And then if you look closely, second 33, there's a little bit of a dissolve. And that's, we then cut to a scene of the camera panning into the club car. So it appears seamless. Mm. It's got to be two different shots, but... I have to imagine in 1959 how how clean and crisp that those two shots put together look, you know. And also credit to the great George Thomasina, Kitchcock's editor on this film. So that that's yeah. some subtle but uh, very cool movie magic. And suddenly we're in the club car. Yeah, and then there's that scene where I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if the uh, the tickets please scene in Last Crusade was inspired by this scene where they're just kind of searching and. Well, I, I would love to CGI Harrison Ford's face on one of those <laughs> conductors. You know, no ticket. You'd also have to have a jacket that doesn't fit. Right. Which was a part of this movie in a different minute. Yeah, yeah, quite true. But uh, I, th- I think we're, we're about to come to what may be the most controversial second <laughs> in this movie. Uh, and that is... <clears throat> Are you guys familiar with the the legend of the second Hitchcock cameo? Oh no. yeah, yeah. You've been reading about that. That read about it. Bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Of course, we have the first cameo in the credits, Hitchcock and the right, bus. Very That's beginning, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But there there is a legend here that in this club car we we see a rather matronly older woman in the background, and we see the conductor talking to her, and uh, at some point. People suggested, theorized that that was Alfred Hitchcock in drag, making his <laughs> second cameo. Uh, and you look at her there at second forty-second, second, and you look at her in second forty-six <laughs> of minute forty-six, and uh, yeah, you, you, that that profile, that sort of longer nose and less of a chin, you, you sort of say. Yeah, I think that's Hitchcock in a wig and a dress. But alas, it is not. That is character actress Jessalyn Fax. That poor actress. (laughs) Yeah, she did appear in Rear Window, so she did work with Hitchcock. Mm. And uh, But sadly, as much as we wish that was Hitchcock in drag, maybe Hitchcock would have liked to do drag. I don't know. It's a a British tradition, dressing up as a woman on stage, but that is not Alfred Hitchcock. No. That is an actual actress. That's a, yeah, and, and this is a this is a long persisting 
I don't know if you want to call it an urban legend, but uh, yeah, but it, but it's a long persisting one. And I, yeah, I, I I didn't look any deeper to see if the actress ever gave an interview on it. You know, because this this was really really before people got obnoxious enough to ask questions like that. But <laughs> but yeah, that that was a little bad for her. I think that's yeah. It, I don't know if I would ever want to ask her. So do you, people think you're Alfred Hitchcock? How do you say that to a lady? It's just, you know, look her up on IMDb, Jessalyn Facts. <clears throat> the minute you see her up close, you go, oh, it's her. Uh, she did like 500,000 TV and movie appearances. I, I think she may have been one of Beaver Cleaver's teachers in oh, an wow. episode or two of that show. You'll you'll see her and you go, and in, in up close, she looks far less like Albert Hitchcock in drag. And then the, the last thing that we see in this minute uh, is a very conspicuous toilet uh, you know, the word toilet door in the frame. Uh, but this leads me to a question because uh, obviously we're going to find that, that Roger's been hiding in the bathroom. Uh, the, the one scene that we don't see is that how long was he in there? You know, are, were there ever a point where there were like angry passengers that were banging on the door trying to get in because he's waiting <laughs> there? I like to think that rail travel was so classy back then that there were like enough toilets to go around. <laughs> this train was so expensive that I don't think you'd have a lot of passengers. At least not yeah. enough to have the bathroom backed up. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you'd think this fancy train has many, many bathrooms. Josh, what was the price of a ticket on the 20th Century Limited circa 1959, 58? Uh, I've got to look that one up. Ballpark. I think it was like $50? Something yeah. like that. Yeah, about $50 back in 1920. And yeah. that would give you a bed and a curtain. Yeah, no, I think we said in, in modern times that's like $800. So uh, if I'm paying $800 for a train ticket, I want a lot of bathrooms. I want a bathroom <laughs> like every that's 10 fair. feet there's a bathroom. I want a bidet. <laughs> right? Yeah. I want, a, I want a bathroom. I want a bidet. Uh, I want a little tub where I can wash my feet. A little of that rose water, perhaps. Yeah, a little rose water, which goes a long way. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, on on that note, we have reached the end of this minute, but uh, James and Sid, would you like to come back tomorrow and talk a little bit more about this movie with us? Absolutely. Sounds great. Great. All right, then we will talk some more tomorrow. Uh, you can find the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play or at the main site, HitchcockMinute.com. Social media is available at The Man on Washington's Nose on Facebook and on Twitter at Hitchcock Minute at Hitchcock Minute. <laughs> so uh, that's it. Uh, we'll talk again tomorrow. Please join us here next time on The Hitchcock Minute. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are.